listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Looking forward to sharing a missionary story with you today, all the way around the world from South Korea. Joining me in studio today, the Reverend Chuck Hoffman. He and his family serve the Lord in South Korea. Pastor Hoffman, welcome. Thank you. Glad to have you in studio learning about your life and uh, serving as a missionary in South Korea. Tell us a little bit about uh, the Reverend Chuck Hoffman, a little bit about your background and your your family. Uh, what led you to consider the, the Office of Holy Ministry? Sure. Um, I have a rather unique uh, track, I guess, toward becoming a pastor. I, I attended a Baptist church as a young child, uh, like a lot of families, it was mom only going to church, taking the kids along. But uh, we stopped attending. I think I was around third grade or so when we stopped attending. And uh, so by the time I got to college, I was an avowed agnostic. In fact, uh, uh, during freshman orientation, they gave out these forms asking what our religious preference was so that they could get us hooked up into whatever category we fall in, we fell into. And uh, I actually refused to fill out the form completely and threw it in the garbage. Uh, uh, I was I was rather closed off to the gospel. But uh, at some point during my first year in college, uh, someone shared uh, the gospel with me, and it stuck. And I was baptized at the end of my first year in college at Martin Luther Chapel in East Lansing, Michigan. I was a student at Michigan State University. And uh, that was the beginning. And I uh, went with uh, LCMS, which was called World Mission at the time, uh, to Taiwan after graduating uh, in college and served in Taiwan for three years. And it was at the end of those uh, three, three and a half years that I started seminary. And so you studied at the seminary. Now, was it uh, was it just Chuck at this time or... Or had your family started to it <laughs> started to grow? Uh, I guess you could say started to. Uh, uh, I was engaged to my future wife Jean um, about a year after I started seminary, and then uh, right before we embarked on vicarage, which I served in California, uh, we were married a few days before that, and then drove across the country together. While in seminary, were you thinking? Were you planning on being a full-time missionary, or were you thinking more of a, a stateside parish pastor or some other plans? I was certainly open to anything, but um, you know, I just went through the normal placement process, and uh, and I, I guess I would say I was expecting to be a parish pastor, and and I was. My first call was to Saint Mark Lutheran Church in Elko, Nevada. When was it that you started really? giving more thought to serving as a full-time missionary? Um, well, my track, again, is a little unique in that um, uh, I just learned that I was on this call list to this uh, international church in Seoul, and I didn't hear much about it again until they, uh, Dan McMiller called me on the phone and said, well, the board is going to issue you a call in a couple days. I thought I'd better have a conversation with you. <laughs> so... Um, my my uh, process into this was a little unique. So you found out that you're receiving a call. Tell me about that process of considering the call, your deliberations, and and uh, your family, your congregation, as you're considering leaving the 
the U.S. heading to Korea, right? South Korea? Yeah. And, um, you know, this God's hand was really in this process of considering this call. Um, my wife is from Taiwan. I met her while I was serving there as a missionary. And uh, we had served in Nevada for just only three years at that point, which doesn't feel long enough, you know, for any first call. Uh, we really loved the people there. It was a parish. Uh, almost everyone in that area of Nevada is employed in the gold mining industry. Uh, um, everyone, just thousands of people work in these uh, gigantic mines that run 24-7. They're great people. Uh, we loved serving there. Um and Jean had just been accepted into nursing school to uh, work toward an RN degree uh, after working for two or three years on her prerequisite classes. So we, we had a lot of reasons to stay. We wanted to stay. Um, but for Jean, this was also going to be a call closer to home. Uh, from America, Taiwan is a 12 or 13 hour flight. And from, from Seoul, it's, it's about an hour and a half. It's much closer. We knew we would be able to see her family more often. And then we also got news that her father uh, had liver cancer, a very aggressive form of liver cancer. And uh, as with all of her family members, uh, he, he is not a believer yet. So we wanted to go and be closer to him. And so we, we accepted this call. Tell me about the, the work that, that was laid before you in Seoul. Yeah, uh, just a few hours after landing, you know, I got a call from the church office. Uh, are you coming in yet? And uh, <laughs> I, I, I preached and led service, I think, 48 hours after landing in the country. Uh, uh, the church is well established. It was built in the early 1960s, originally uh, called Lutheran Service Center, uh, built for Lutheran uh, military, U.S. military members um, in the post-Korean War years. And we at one time had, I think, something like 50 of these Lutheran service centers all over the world that were in places like Manila and other places where we had a lot of U.S. troops. Uh, and most of them have all closed down. But this one continues uh, now as uh, more of an international congregation. We still serve military families, but we also have a lot of international school teachers. We have a lot of local um, Korean nationals that attend our church. And people from all over the world, uh, Seoul being the size that it is, is becoming more of an international city. And so we're drawing people from all over the world. So less than 48 hours from hitting the ground, uh, you're already jumping in headfirst to ministry, serving the yes, Lord, proclaiming yes. the, preaching the, the news of Jesus in this established congregation, this established ministry. Tell me about uh, adjusting to life in South Korea. Uh, it sounds like as an international congregation, I'm gathering there might be more than one language spoken among the congregation. Sure. Uh, yeah, many of the, obviously the Korean uh, nationals, they all speak Korean. Uh, although the people, you know, like I said, we have people from Europe, people from Africa, people from other continents. And, and so there, there is a large group, although English is sort of the one binding uh, thing that uh, for people that choose to worship at an international church. And so that's the, the, the language that can tie us together. And in a way, I really see English becoming this lingua franca, the, similar to the, what Greek was in the New Testament time. 
it's becoming that way when you are abroad. If a Japanese person needs to communicate with a Chinese person, often it's in English. And、uh, this, is, this is just the way the world is heading. So, are, do you encounter times when language is a barrier for you? Oh, ab- absolutely. One of the downsides of, of preaching within 48 hours of landing in the country was I, I, I did not have the language acquisition period that most missionaries are able to receive. I do speak Chinese、uh, from my years in Taiwan, and I did have the chance to learn Chinese.、Uh, but Korean, I was, I, I was able to do a little bit of work on the side. I can read their alphabet, I can sound out words, but I'm not fluent. Uh, so, uh, language is, is a barrier just in my everyday life. And in ministry, too, it can be a barrier、uh, for, for people coming in that may not have a very high English level.、Uh, it's, it's hard to have, give the pastoral care that I would like to、uh, sometimes when the, maybe the shared language is not as much shared as I would hope. <laughs> Tell me about life in Seoul. Do you, you live and serve in Seoul? Yeah, right in central Seoul. And、uh, Seoul is a city of 10 million people in, inside the city limits.、Uh, Seoul metro area is 25 million people. It's half of the entire population of the country of South Korea are, are in this, collected together in this one mega city. And、uh, our church and our parsonage are located right in the middle of that、uh, since it was built a while ago.、Uh, Seoul is a prosperous place.、Uh, you see luxury cars on the roads. You see people wearing very fashionable clothing.、Um, people work very, very long hours.、Um, it's the home of these giant conglomerate businesses like LG and Samsung and Hyundai. And.、Um, There's just a frenetic work pace,、um, which has allowed them to be prosperous, but it also means that there's not a great、uh, work life balance uh, among, <coughs> among the uh, uh, Korean people. There, there's not enough time with family, and、uh, that, that is a challenge. But Seoul is, is a beautiful and it's a wonderful city to live in,、uh, but it is crowded. I'd say if there's one word I would use, I'd say crowded. For,、uh, for Americans, that's, that's probably challenging, no, challenging、uh, adjusting to that for some Americans. Yes, culturally, very much so.、Uh, we Americans are on the, if there's a spectrum of group oriented cultures and individual oriented cultures, we're actually on the extreme end of the individual oriented cultures. We like. Three feet of personal space if we're standing in a line somewhere, for example, or, or you know, we might not even go into a parking lot if it looked too full. We might just head to the next store or something like that. And, and that you have to literally kind of rewire your own brain to live in a place as crowded as these mega cities in Asia are. Now, having served in Taiwan for three and a half years, Did that help, you, help prepare you for this venture? Absolutely. And I, I think it's one of the reasons I, I'm sure it's one of the reasons I was on that call list in the first place is I have Asia experience, lived abroad before.、Um, some people take to it and some people don't. And although I still find it very challenging, I, I kind of knew what I was in for. What about family life in Seoul?、Uh, tell me about living as a family in Seoul. Sure.、Um, Well, 
we came as just a couple in 2014, and now we are four.、Uh, my wife gave birth to twin girls just over a year ago, and, and did that right there in the city at the hospital that was closest to our church. And、um, it's it's a little different in than the U.S. We are you know we're not so car based. We have to go kind of. Most places on a bus or on subway, and so、um, uh, we have our girls,、uh, you know, in carriers.、Uh, probably, you know, we brought these carriers to the U.S. and we're walking around, you know, stores here with these carriers on, and everyone's giving these these looks like this is a little bit odd, you know.、Um, but、uh, there, it's the primary way to get around with a child is is to have them on you. So, like a a a, a wrap or something, right, like a、right. soft carrier or yeah, something. Yeah. I don't think that's as uncommon in the United States today. I'm seeing it a lot more. Yeah, our families use them as well, and、uh, so you travel by foot then and、uh, public transportation quite a bit in Seoul. Yeah, more more often、uh, we do. The church does have a car, and we do use that for certain things. But、uh, traffic there is such that no matter where you're going, you have to plan one hour. You know, even if it's just a few miles down the road, and so. It's it's often easier to to use public transportation. What about options for education when that day comes and you start looking into education for your daughters? Yeah, that will be a challenge as well.、Um, there are international schools, although their tuition cost is roughly that of a private college in the U.S. So, upwards of you know well over thirty thousand a year tuition、uh, to send your child to an international school.、Uh, There, there is one other option.、Uh, there's a, a Chinese-speaking school that is actually a, a Taiwan-connected school, and、uh, my wife is speaking only Mandarin to our girls, and so that would be a good option for us. What about the the members of the the congregation being an international congregation?、Uh, what do others use for education for their families in the community? Kind of depends on how they arrived in Korea.、Mm-hmm. If they are corporate people. Like for example, General Motors sends employees to Seoul.、Uh, you know, they would their children would be in international schools as part of their salary package. If you are with the military, as many of our families are, there are you know schools on the base that are military schools. If you are an international school teacher teaching, then you probably have your children at the school where you're teaching as a as a, a part of your package. So it just really depends on what brought you to Korea, where your children end up being educated. And for the for those who are for the Korean natives, I assume there are schools in their community that are are locally funded schools. Sure, yeah, the majority of Koreans would have their children in public schools. What about、um, things that you've learned about customs and and、uh, traditions in Korean culture, South Korea? Well, Korea is a rich culture.、Uh, they're a very proud culture. They, you know, they're called the Hermit Kingdom because they have、um, very voraciously held on to a culture with two gigantic cultures uh, next to them: uh, uh, China to their left and Japan to their right. And、um, and and they have their own language. It is li- linguistically, it is unrelated to Chinese、uh, whatsoever. And、um, And they have a culture that goes back several thousand years, and、um, there's a lot to learn there. They're a wonderful people, a beautiful people, highly educated, 
and um, it, it's always fun to learn uh, more and more all the time. What have been some of the uh, perhaps more the um, unique cultural differences that you've encountered? Some that might even lead to a story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there, there always are those things. Um, I one thing that took me a while to learn is is the gift giving aspect of Korean culture. Uh, it's typical. My my first exposure to Korea was my first year actually at Michigan State University. I got a letter saying your roommate. His name is Kim Sung-hoon. He's age 26. And I'm an 18-year-old boy from Michigan thinking, this is my roommate? That sounds like a grown man to me. And, the, and I, I, I got to the dorm and I met this, this guy. And we only were roommates for one semester, but he's been a lifelong friend. And uh, I eventually went and visited him in Korea. And he said, well, you should bring gifts for my family. And uh, I brought like a like a little mug that said Michigan State. I brought a T-shirt for his sister. I brought things like that, which for me, that's that's a gift. Mm-hmm. It's like a souvenir or something from from where you're from. Uh, Korea, they it's, it's more typical. If you're coming to stay with someone or you're visiting someone, you give an expensive gift, you know, something worth maybe $100 or more, whether it's a, a fruit basket or or some kind of uh, expensive scarf or perfume or something like that. And uh, it's just it's just a way of showing that you care. And and then, you know, the next time they come over, they're going to give you something equally as, as nice. And so it's it ends up being a wash, you know, and, and that's normal. But uh, f- for me as a college, you know, as a poor college student coming from the U.S. and visiting there, I, I, I probably, you know, he kind of looked at the stuff and he kind of tossed it off to the side and, and spared me the embarrassment of presenting those things to uh, to his family members. <laughs> so the, the the gift giving tradition in that culture is is significant. Yes. Yes. What about uh, learning uh, about the the culinary styles of Korea? Yeah. Uh, well, the longer I've lived abroad, the more I've realized how much is just dictated by geography mm-hmm. and climate. And so Korea is an extremely mountainous country. They don't have very many uh, flat plains at all for agriculture. So, so much of their food culture is based around the type of food that grows, you know, in, in, in mountains and that can be preserved through a winter. So their kimchi, which they're so famous for, is a fermented cabbage that's kept in the ground and, and it keeps all winter. Uh, they have a so many mushrooms and they're so inexpensive uh things that things that grow in damp uh, environments and 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 so uh i'm not used to not having much fresh fruit which we were had abundantly in taiwan um but they they do have a very spicy food and it takes a little while to get used to it but but it is very tasty what's your favorite dish in korea uh, I I hate to say it, but it's probably bibimbap, uh, which is the ve- very famous rice bowl with a you know chopped up vegetables and stuff and an egg inside of it. Uh, it's it's a very stereotypical main dish, but 
but I, I do like it. It's a nice standby for me. Now, kimchi has certainly made its way to North America as well. It's kind of a, a unique delicacy here. How is it regarded there? Is it, a, is it a delicacy or is it just a traditional part of everyday meals? When do you eat kimchi? Uh, it's, it's a side dish served with every meal. Uh, if if you're in a restaurant, if it's a if it's Korean food, traditional food, there will always be kimchi there. Breakfast, and, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, they don't eat out for breakfast much, but okay. um, um, lunch and dinner certainly it's always on the table, and it's it's kind of like I, I equate it to like the way that French fries taste a little different at every single place, every single fast food place, or every mm-hmm. single um, casual restaurant here in the U.S. You, we can taste the difference. A foreigner might say it's all fries, uh, but we know that you know McDonald's fries don't, don't taste like Burger King fries, which don't taste like Wendy's. Uh, that's the same thing with kimchi. You know, every <laughs> single it might be served a little bit different temperature, a little bit different level of fermentation, a little bit different level of sourness or spice, and and there's quality levels with the cabbage, and so every single time it's different. Are there fast food restaurants? Is it is it common at fast food restaurants too? Uh, well, if it's a Western chain, then no, they wouldn't they wouldn't serve it as a side dish. But if it was uh, some version of their own food, then yeah, it would be. There'd always be some kind of pickle, or uh, there has to be side dishes. There always have to be side dishes on the table. What are traditional main dishes? Uh, a lot of stews, mm-hmm. um, yeah, things like that. Just it, yeah, stew, spicy stuff, spicy stews. <laughs> Now, have you gotten used to kimchi? Do you do you eat kimchi pretty regularly now? Yeah, yeah, every time we're out. <laughs> I like it. I think most of the kimchi that I've had is uh, pretty spicy. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, it's it's like hot. Yeah, that's that's normal. It's probably. <laughs> I mean, originally it would have been that's what preserved it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, although now it's it's now they're not putting it into the ground all through the winter it's all factory made and uh, but it's 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 the flavor profile that they're very used to and they uh, in korea if if it's not spicy it's not palatable to the to to korean nationals you mentioned earlier uh arriving at at your church in an international ministry um, a, a lot of work has already been established. The the ministry has already been established there, and you're uh, now serving primarily word and sacrament preaching and and uh, delivering the gifts of God. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we sort of do whatever a normal church does: so confirmation, baptizing, uh, children's Christmas pageants. Um, we we do. It, it, it's almost like someone just airlifted an American parish and dropped it into the middle of Seoul. Except for that, we're not all American. You know, we're, there are people from from many different countries. It looks very much though. I mean, sometimes people marvel. Oh, I feel like I'm in Minnesota or something right <laughs> now. And and it is like that. But the one unique aspect is, um, it's constantly being remade in that. Um, most expats only live two to three years, you know, in abroad at a time. Uh, U.S. military they they would spend two years at the most at their station before they are restationed. So uh, we're always being remade with with new people all the time. Similar to a campus ministry, right? Very much so. In that uh, the 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 fellowship and the the uh, the body is constantly changing. Yes. What do you? What do you look forward to most? We have just about a minute left. What do you look forward to most in the year ahead? Um, I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, getting 
back into language lessons, but also just uh, doing a little bit more with outreach in our church, doing a little bit more with getting the word out. I, I'm always running into people. Uh, U.S. military members that are, have Lutheran background that had no idea were just down the road away from the base.、Um, I, I want to find more ways to to get the word out that we're there and that we're a place for people to receive、uh, word and sacrament ministry. My guest today, the Reverend Chuck Hoffman, serving the Lord in South Korea. Pastor Hoffman, thanks so much for being my guest, sharing your missionary story with us today. Thank you for having me. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO. On the air, online, and on demand.